0: At New York City's Morgan Library, the staff staffmaker yuletide ritual of placing Dickens' original Carol manuscript on display in the institution's main lobby. Over the course of a month, thousands reverentially file past my own and only MS of the book, Dickens noted on the manuscript's title page. Soon after the book appeared in print, Dickens made a gift of the manuscript to his friend, and sometimes solicitor Thomas Mitten, who had lent money to the cash-strapped Dickens in early December of eighteen forty-three, just as the author laboured to finish the work, the manuscript thereafter was sold and resold until Pierpont Morgan finally acquired the treasure during the last decade of the nineteenth century. It has since remained with the rest of Morgan's collection at East Thirty-sixth Street and Madison Avenue along with the manuscripts for two other Dickens' Christmas books, The Cricket on the Hearth and The Battle of Life. The manuscript reveals an author working feverishly on a text that was, nearly miraculously, at once the first and final draft of a masterpiece. Through a maze of exalts, emendations and cuts and splices, the work as we know it emerges from the frantically penned page. Dickens' sister-in-law would, years after the fact, remember how he wept and laughed, and wept again, and excited himself in a most extraordinary manner, in the composition, thinking whereof, he walked about the black streets of London, fifteen or twenty miles, many a night. Dickens' close friend, an authorised biographer, John Forster, recalled what a strange mastery seized him, In his work on the carol, as Paul Davis writes in The Lives and Times of Ebenezer Scrooge, the intensity of his concentration on the tale, written in little more than a month, suggests that the little book liberated important areas of his imagination. The words flowed as if the result of revelation. Charles Dickens, age 31, began writing A Christmas Carol in October 1843, At that time, his new novel, Martin Shuzzlewit, which his publishers, Chapman and Hall, had been issuing as a monthly serial, and which Dickens continued to labour on, was proving unpopular with readers, so much so that the publishers threatened to cut his monthly annuity by a then substantial £50, if sales did not improve soon, either with Shuzzlewit or something else. The Carol proved the answer to this dilemma. In the end, however, the Carol seems not only to have been financially liberating for Dickens, but spiritually liberating as well, after what he himself called the agonies of Shuzzlewit, a study of murderous greed and hypocrisy. Shuzzlewit called forth less of Dickens' idealism than any of the earlier works, writes Davis. Shuzzlewitz-Doy subject matter inverts the Christian virtues. Its worldly characters have faith only in money and hope only for gain, while Charity Pecksniff, the shooish daughter of its hypocritical villain, performs a perverse denial of her name. The Carol, a story of genuine charity, provided welcome relief for both Dickens and his readers from the depressing world of Martin Shuzzlewitz. To keep Shuzzlewit's going, and do this little book, The Carol, in the odd times between parts of it, was, as you may suppose, pretty tight work, Dickens wrote a friend. When it was done, I broke out like a madman. Such dinings, such dancing, such conjurings, such blind man's bluffings, such theatre-goings, "'Such kissings out of old years "'and kissings in of new ones "'never took place in these parts before. "'In his first great literary success, "'The Pothumous Papers of the Pickwick Club, 1837, "'Dickens had depicted "'archaic and largely forgotten Christmas celebrations "'as once practised "'in the great halls of Britain's rural districts. "'His tale was vibrant and joyful.' but it was also nostalgic and elegiac.